Hello, welcome. This is the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Russ. And I am Gordon. And today, oh man, it'd be so easy to invoke <laughs> a whole herd of lawyers upon us. But I don't want to see anybody from Disney, so we will not call this episode to infinity and beyond. No, we will not say that. Or call it Countdown to Infinity because Although there are that records. That is what we are talking about, so, <laughs> but don't say it. Nope, can't say anything. So instead, we're going to use actually Gordon's phraseology, infinity and other conundrums. Yeah, I have many conundrums. That, well, that's uh, pretty literate, too. I like that word. That is not a 12-cent word. <laughs> nope, nope, and not... Not a hangover word either. <laughs> no, no, no. And, well, I could have said loquacious, but I won't. You could have. <laughs> the benefits of a classical education. Look it up if it doesn't make sense to you. Because <laughs> we ain't going to explain it. Okay. So, what has brought this collection of conundrums to us today, dear friend? Well... A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine and I went off in the middle of the night to photograph the ostensible appearance of the Northern Lights. Oh, they're very beautiful. How'd that go? I wouldn't know. I never saw a thing. Oh, good. However, Barry looked okay. (laughs) (laughs) So... Folks who live in Barrie, Ontario, it looks very nice at night. Yep, from a distance. That's what I heard, from a distance. Okay, we just lost that listener. <laughs> so we we actually never saw anything, and um, but there were a, a fair number of stars uh, in the sky and not camouflaged by cloud cover, fortunately. So we decided to photograph them. And we set up our cameras, and we did everything that they tell you to do in the books. We had it on a tripod. We were pointing at the bright things in the sky. We had a wide aperture, and we couldn't see a thing. So you're following all the rules and the guidelines for astrophotography with one little problem. Yeah. Okay. The problem is that the people that wrote the rules didn't actually tell us what to do when you can't see what you're supposed to be focusing on Uh or composing. Or composing. Now, uh, I take it this was you and Dougie? Yep. So I know that Doug uses a camera with an optical viewfinder. Yep. You use a camera with an electronic viewfinder. Yep. Uh, Was his experience any different? Uh, I had the impression that he was visualizing things better than I was. Not great, but right. better. Yeah, because dark is still dark. Dark is still dark, and right. uh, not bright is not showing up. Okay. Well, that is problematic. So let's talk about that first and foremost. Okay. Um, can you tell me what lens you were using? I was using uh, an Olympus uh, 7 to 14 
which in real terms translates into 14 to 28. Okay, so a decent wide angle zoom and F, what's the, what's the maximum aperture? F2.8. F2.8. So that's a pretty bright lens. And it's a very fast lens. And it's yeah. very bright. It's pulling a lot of light in. Um, any idea what, what Doug was shooting? Um, probably something similar. Yeah, like a 1635 or yes. something like that. Most likely 1635. Yeah, I know he likes that lens, as do I. So, first challenge. Seeing something on which to focus. And dealing with the reality that what you're trying to focus on is not actually infinitely far, but it might as well be. Close the star, 4.2 light years. Yep, that sounds pretty much like in infinitely to me. I can't walk there. No, that you can't. You can't even drive there. No, you can't. So that's infinitely. Yeah, it's pretty freaking far. And for the purposes of our lenses, it is, in fact, an infinite distance. Right. Now, we know that when we went to autofocus, something happened in the construction of lenses that has made the concept of fire and forget infinity focus non-existent and you had mentioned this to me that you felt that the lens ring the focus ring turned past infinity yes and focusing beyond infinity given that you are a trained medical professional sounded a little bit like foo-foo dust Yeah, that's pretty close enough. Oh, because you can't go past no, infinity. Uh, It's infinite. Infinity is infinity is infinity. So how do you get past it? So that's a problem. There's lots of excuses for why autofocus lenses all appear to focus past infinity. In fact, what happens is the helicoid turns past infinity The helicoid is the mechanism that moves the glass. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of reasons, some perhaps factual, some folkloric, why this might occur. The best explanation I got was from a technician at Nikon. Okay. Um, and his story was that in order... For autofocus to be able to move back and forth very quickly, the designers, the engineers, determined fairly early on that in order to facilitate the turnaround from focusing away to focusing close, because we know focus hunts sometimes, mm -hmm. they had to let the helicoid go past the infinity point. Right instead of banging against it all the time. Right. Because they believe that that would, over time, cause damage to the lens. Okay. Okay. Not, an, not a lens engineer, but it sounds reasonable. So let's say it's so. Yep. 
when we think about how focus works in most DSLR cameras, it uses contrast detection. Okay. Looking for the sharpest edge mm -hmm. between two areas of different contrast. Right. Now, in a starry sky, ostensibly that should be easy to find. Right. Except they're really freaking small. Yep. And they're going to be probably outside the scope of what contrast detect could really find. And that's why in dark sky conditions, if we try to autofocus, we get used to the as the lens is moving back and forth, trying to find focus. Now, have you ever encountered that? Um, Think back to when I, you were shooting Nikon. Yeah, I, ca I can't say I've, I've noticed it. What I do notice is it, it's I, I don't hear it, but I do see the lens going back and forth. And uh, no contrast, no focus. Right. Now, in mirrorless, we have a much greater prevalence of phase detection, autofocus. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we're measuring basically phase relationships in light that's entering the sensor. Phase detection when there's good light is really fast. Okay. And really accurate, particularly in mirrorless cameras, because they don't do contrast detect as their primary mechanism. Okay. But we have a problem. We got very little light. Mm -hmm. So there's it, no phase. The phase is basically, it's all the same at that distance. So we don't have the ability to detect between uh, a sense of something, two reflections being out of phase. Right. So that gets difficult. Now, even with the fast lenses that you're talking about, we are limited to what can be rendered to A, the human eye, mm -hmm. in the optical viewfinder. Yep. Because we're losing light through the ground glass that makes up the focusing screen. Okay. And one of the things that's happened with the advent of autofocus is focusing screens are actually a little dimmer than they were in the days of high-end film cameras. Okay. And there are no focus aids in them. So one of the challenges that we hear about manual focus in a DSLR is that there's no focus aid. And the image is really small. So it might be hard to nail focus down. And what kind of focus aids did they have in the DSLRs? So prior oh, to digital. Cine cameras. Yeah. Prior to digital, we would have um, what was called split image. Okay. Basically, basically a phase separation where you brought the two halves of the image together. Yes. I've seen um, that. We also had microprism. Microprisms were the same sort of idea. The whole concept was rotate the focus ring until you eliminated that phase cancellation. Okay. Um, but because the cameras have autofocus, any of the manual focus aids got removed and taken out. Okay. That makes manual focus on a plain old focus screen really difficult. Then mm -hmm. when we went to... EVFs, electronic viewfinders. Yes. Well, we're looking at a TV. 
and there are limits to what that television can render based on what it can see. So if the sensor is having trouble seeing and then it is effectively broadcasting that signal to this little video screen in the camera, we're also going to see some loss. Yep. And because the display is still rather small, the ability to focus manually, it's going to be really tough. Mm -hmm. So the context of infinity focus, whether we're using an electronic or an optical viewfinder, in dark conditions means it's going to be pretty tough. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to accept that that's true. That doesn't fix some of the other problems, though, in that you may not be able to see, as you point out, well enough to even compose. Yeah. Like in dark. Yeah. Kind of hard to... It was a horizon somewhere. Yeah. And so then we get into a conundrum. I can't see enough light to compose... I can't see enough light to focus, but if there was enough light to do that, I might not see the stars because they'd be washed out. Correct. Almost sounds like it's time to go home and have a drink and look at a picture book. So how do we fix this? Um... Well, you could get there when there is. You could get to your location when there is some light. Mm -hmm. And hunt around until you found something that was uh, appropriate to photograph. And set up your camera. Lock everything in place and then go have a drink. And that is a proven and functional technique. And when you say lock it down... That means you're going to make your focus, turn off autofocus so it can't reactivate, and lock that lens so it's not going to move. Right. Might be using a piece of gaffer tape, for example. Yes. Also, if that lens is a zoom lens, you're going to lock the zoom. Yep. Because our still camera lenses are almost in their entirety not parfocal. Which means? Well, parfocal means that when you zoom a lens, the focus point moves. Oh, okay, yes. Or, pardon me, parfocal means it doesn't move. Right. So our lenses, you know, like let's use a great lens, like that 17 to 14. Right. If we were inside the natural depth of field of a given aperture... We can focus the lens and we can see the difference. Or if we zoom, we will probably have to correct the focus. Mm-hmm. In autofocus cameras, that's no big deal. Because the autofocus is always running sure. and it's going to do all that stuff for us. But as soon as we go manual, every time we change the effective focal length, the effective angle of view, mm-hmm. we're going to have to do some refocusing. Now... Can that be addressed? Absolutely. There are manufacturers who make lenses that are parfocal. You you focus at one point, anywhere in their zoom range, 
They stay in focus. Okay. But Not they're not made for still cameras. Oh, okay. They're That's made for cinema cameras. And they're big. And they're heavy. And they're expensive. They sure are. And they don't do autofocus. Okay. Because you have to have that very, very tight tolerance in the gearing that allows you to make those micro-adjustments manually. Right. Now, have you ever focused an autofocus lens manually? Uh, yes. Does it feel precise? No. Does it feel a little sloppy? Well, it, depending on the lens, it, it feels smooth, but I but it, it, it I think you mentioned the changes that you get are uh, they're too abrupt, they're too sudden. And and I think that that's a great way to, for anyone to describe it because we don't have that fine micro level of control because in order for autofocus to move quickly, you have to have fairly wide space gearing. Right. If you want to move it with absolute precision, that's very fine tooth gearing. The autofocus motors would work harder, less battery life. And so a lot of autofocus is actually depending upon depth of field to be close enough. Okay. And in most conditions, it's working just fine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, nobody should go around going, wow, this is crap, I'll get rid of this. Because it actually does work. But it's not focusing precisely. It's leveraging the power of depth of field, optics rules, Mm -hmm. to get the focus that you want. Excuse me. So what you've said... Get there when there's light. Yep. Define a point of focus, which for the lens and aperture you're using is effectively infinity. Yep. Lock the lens down, and then you're good to go when the light's gone. Yep. Because nothing has changed. The relative distance of the star, in the example of the star, or factually the northern lights... They're not changing distance relative to the camera to the extent where it's going to make any difference at all in focusing. Yep. Right? Yes. And we've experienced this with landscape photography. Right? Okay, there's there's trees in front of the mountains. If I focus on the trees and then I focus on the mountains, what changes? Nothing. Because they are effectively... Far enough. Far enough. Effectively at an infinite distance for that lens. And this is one of the reasons why folks like wider-angle lenses for astrophotography. Because one of the things we know is true about wide-angle lenses is they bring the depth of field. Yes, they have huge, huge depth of field. And that's awesome because it gives you latitude. You know, if we were shooting everything with a 2,000-millimeter lens, there's a hell of a lot less depth of field. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be more precise. And that is probably one of the reasons why we don't see for digital cameras, autofocus cameras, the massive focal lengths that we used to see in the days of film. They were in very slow, but very effectively small angle of view, catadioptric lenses, basically folded mirror lenses, telescopes. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
it's change. And we accept it and we deal with it. But I'm going to suggest we do have another option if getting there early is not there. <clears throat> and this is going to involve the use of tools. A tool like photo pills. Yes. Certainly not the only tool. Yes, I've seen them mentioned. Different people talk about different things, but certainly recently photo pills has become the catchword. Because there's a lot in it for the dollar. Yes. But the thing that we're looking for here is to determine the hyperfocal distance of that lens at a given aperture. Right. At what point or from what camera to subject distance, anything after that is going to be in focus. Right. And the beautiful thing about photo pills is you plug in your camera, you plug in the lens and it'll tell you. Mm-hmm. at f28 or f4 or whatever anything past x meters is it's in focus right and there's no need to refocus yes so knowing what that is can allow us to again sort of preset the lens now there's some caveats there and this is something that you found when you started looking at different lenses. And I think what you said to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you felt that maybe the distance markers and that infinity marker may not be placed accurately. Well, if they're not placed accurately, then something is different because you can place your marker or you can place your distance on infinity and you can look at the moon and it's, I won't say blurry, but it's not that sharp. Right. You feel. So you have to then make a minor adjustment. And let's face it, the infinity marker is not big. No. So you've got to make a minor adjustment and everything comes into focus. So... The question that came through my mind is, well, if this is infinity and everything in infinity should be in focus, why isn't the moon in focus? And the other challenge that you mentioned earlier is we're using a zoom lens, which is not par focal. Yes. That means where infinity is on the barrel is in a different place depending upon what focal length we're using. Yes. And that way you might see that upside down or sideways fallen hell. Right. So that's, that says uh, infinity is in here somewhere. Yes. Uh, so the Doug's, uh, when we were talking about this, uh, he pointed this out. He says, what's this funny looking hell on this thing? So don't ask me, man. I shoot, uh, I shoot Olympus. I don't know what that is. And uh, so he asked you and you said, well, the, this indicates where the focus may be if as the focus length, focal length changes. And that's pretty much, sadly, that's the reality so of it. So you don't really know. It's somewhere in that L. Right, space. and there is no stop point that you can say, I'm going to tw- twist this lens right to the end, <clears throat> you know, regardless of which way it turns, because different manufacturers, right. the lenses turn differently. 
There's no stop that you know is the infinite focus point. But the old manual lenses did have a stop. Oh, absolutely they did. Because they couldn't, they didn't have that need to go past to come back. Yes. Because your hand wasn't working that hard. They also had much tighter gearing. Okay. A much tighter pitch on the focusing helicoid so you didn't, it may take longer actually to get to that or not. And what mm-hmm. we'll find is if we were to compare two lenses, let's choose a 28 mil, doesn't matter which Whatever. mount it is, mm-hmm. something that has the same angle of view. If I compare the throw on the focus ring from an autofocus lens to the focus throw on a manual focus lens, I'm going to find that the manual focus lens requires more turns to get from closest focus to effectively infinite focus. Because it's requiring more turns, making you finer control, but the lens focusing mechanism is not moving as far per turn. Correct, and it's certainly not moving as fast. And what we know about humans, when do they want everything? Yesterday. Yeah. Oh, the autofocus is really slow. (laughs) Shut up and go to your room. (laughs) Compare that to not seeing anything and having to figure it out manually. Right. In fact, uh, the point that you made, (coughs) sorry, was specifically mentioned in um, um, an article I read. She's, this lady who was writing the article started by saying, don't do this. Don't crank your lens as far as it'll go and think that you're in infinity because you're not. No, you're actually not focused anywhere. Right. That lens, When you crank it past infinity, you're not in focus at any distance. You've, put, you've gone to the point where the helicoids only exist for the purpose of reverse of changing direction. Right. They're not focused anything. So to your example, well, I'm photographing the moon. I'm using a fixed 500 mil lens. Uh, I'll just crank it all the way over. Why is the moon soft? Mm-hmm. Because it's not in focus. Right. Because the lens is designed to move its focusing ring past the point where it's achieved right. infinity focus. Now, the other question that comes up regards the infinity symbol. And for those who are not familiar with the infinity symbol, it looks like a figure eight lying on its side. Mm -hmm. And you would ask the question, well, if my lens is so precise, where is infinity on the symbol that's lying down. Mm-hmm. Is it on the left? Maybe a quarter of an inch or, or a little less. Yeah, than yeah that. but it's it's not a point. Nope. So is it at the top of the f- first loop? Is it at the bottom of the second loop? Is it at the waist point where the two loops intersect? I give. Yeah, so does every camera. Right. It's an, an arbitrary point that says, maybe kind of here. Okay. You're probably okay. But we can't tell you because they're just not that precise. Whereby if I go back to 
an older style lens, and it didn't matter what manufacturer you came from. I've got an, an, a very old, like late 50s Minolta lens in the other room. That's a very, very finely graded lens. Right. Because sometimes you just had to use that scale that was engraved, not printed, engraved on the lens. So those old Canon FD lenses, the old Pentax Super Tacomar lenses, the Minolta Rokor lenses, the Nikon AI lenses, if you pick one of those up, first off, it weighs 8 billion pounds because it's made out of all metal. Right. But also you'll find that it feels super precise and the markings are engraved on the lens barrel. Right. Meaning they are less likely to be subjective. You'll also find a hyperfocal distance scale engraved in the lens, mm -hmm. which you're not going to find in autofocus lenses today. Right. So I would be cautious about trusting the scales on any autofocus lenses as we approach infinity because the distances appear to get closer together mm -hmm. on those scales as being an accurate representation of the distance. Couple that with limited light gathering capability, projecting to a little television screen, optical viewfinder losing light through a very poor quality ground glass, it gets really tough. Right. That's not to say that you can only do this kind of astro work with a mechanical lens and a mechanical camera. You can actually do it using the mechanism that you talked about earlier. Right. Just lock focus, lock focal length when you've got something to focus on. Use a tool like PhotoPills. And let's use your lens, for example, 7 to 14. Let's suppose you're going to shoot it at 10. Right. This camera at 10 mil, mm -hmm. this aperture, mm -hmm. and there's no reason not to shoot wide open if you're shooting the star. Yep. Because shooting at 2.8 versus shooting at f8, what kind of depth of field difference is that going to make at the distance of a star? None whatsoever. Well, I always shoot at F8 because I want more depth of field. Okay, fair enough. You have no idea how optics work, <laughs> but if it makes you feel better, crazy go nuts. That's right. Fill your boots. So shoot wide open. Because at 2.8 on that camera and lens at 10 mil, you might find that anything more than 2.2 meters away is in focus. This is not a new concept. In fact, many of us who came up shooting rangefinder cameras, which were horrible to focus, would live and die by the hyperfocal distance scale. Right. Put the infinity mark on the right or left pin, depending on which way the lens turned, in accordance with the aperture you chose. Yep. Boom, we're done. No focus required. And it works every time. No eyeball required for focusing. Let the eyeball and the brain work on the composition. 
you might be close enough on your autofocus lens to do the same thing. And I would submit that if you're using a decent quality wide angle, and you are, and Doug is, it's close enough. Infinity is pretty freaking far. Right. So you could use those markings as guidance, although your mechanism is the best option. Focus when there is light. Lock it down. Or bring a big flashlight. To reach to Jupiter. No, just to reach to something that you can actually see that you can focus on. Right. Like maybe there's a tree. Yep. Or a fence post or a barn that is far enough to be within the hyperfocal effectively infinity distance. Focus on that. Lock it down. Yep. And the stars or the northern lights or the Milky Way are going to be as sharp as focus can get. Right. And then you deal with your other, any other considerations that might affect sharpness, motion, blur, yeah. stability, sure. all that kind of stuff. Just uh, one, uh, one issue with the, not, not an issue, but another one of those conundrums <coughs> with photo pills. Yep. They, they tell you what your hyperfocal distance is. They will. <clears throat> and we've talked about this before. Uh, <clears throat> the issue is that the hyperfocal distance they mention, and if you don't have a scale on your lens that of, a, of any accuracy, that well, you gets, don't really know where that hyperfocal distance is. That is true. It, it becomes extraordinarily <clears throat> frustrating. So let's say I'm just using, and I'm sorry you guys can't see what I'm doing here. Uh, F2.8 at, say, 10 millimeters. Yep. Sound right? Mm-hmm. 2.8. So on your camera, your lens, yep. at... 10 millimeters, as marked on the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, anything beyond 7 feet 9 inches? Okay, that I can measure. <laughs> is sharp. Right. So again, you know the aperture. You probably pretty much guess the focal length. Uh, and by the way, in that example, the focal length does matter. Right? Yes. Sure. Now, if you went as wide as seven, well, it's three feet, nine inches, and anything further. Right. Big deal. Wow. <laughs> and at 14, it's 15 feet, one inch. And there's a scale. Right. And you may not have the descriptor on the lens that says, you are now precisely at 11.2 millimeters. Because sure. you're not. Be. But you're going to have an idea. And say, okay, I'm on a 7 to 14 lens, and I'm shooting a 2.8. Basically, find something that I can pin a flashlight on that's more than 15 feet away. Sure. Focus on it, and I'm rocking. Right. From here to four now. Yep. And you're going to be perfectly safe. 
And that's the best guidance I can offer to anybody who wants to do any kind of astral work. So one question that uh, came up, conundrum, (laughs) Um, the descriptions I read of the hyperfocal distance is uh, you've anything beyond the hyperfocal distance there's this thing that they keep referring to called the circle of confusion. Yes. So the the circle of confusion is well, it is a circle of confusion. It's it's an area past that where things are starting to lose their sharpness. Absolutely. But looking at it it's a it's a loss of sharpness that may not be discernible to the human eye. So that's a really solid point. I think that the folks who named it Circle of Confusion did so with hostile intent. <laughs> because basically it what it tells us is that any combination of optics is actually only in perfect focus at one distance. Right. And anything else it's starting to drift. The mechanism for measuring circle of confusion tells you what the drift is. Okay. And we can get our shorts in a knot about it. But we probably won't be able to see it. Right. Ever. Right. You're sure not going to see it on a traditional computer display because the resolution of the display is so low. Right. So, yes, circle of confusion is interesting to optics students, to optical physicists, and to people who spend more time reading on the internet than they do making photographs. And I'm sorry if that sounds snide. (laughs) It is. Go out and shoot. I I I wouldn't, honestly, it's an actual actual absolute truth that you probably don't need to worry about. Okay. Kind of like how much bacteria is in the water. Sorry? Like how much bacteria is in the water. Oh, well. There's lots. Most people don't care. True. Can't see it. It's not there. So that that pretty much covers... uh, Those were issues uh, that we had... Um, and and Doug, uh, in his wisdom, uh, I think already came up with a lot of these things. He said, there's a really bright star over there, and he looked it up and said, oh, that's Jupiter. It's really nice and bright. Let's focus on that, mm-hmm. uh, which, he, which he did. And then he moved around and composed in the direction he wanted to go. He could see the Milky Way, so he said, okay, fine, I'm going to shoot the Milky Way, but but that's what he used as his point of focus. There were also two lights fairly low above the horizon that were v- visible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so everything that we've talked about, he basically did. Yeah, except mean, he accidentally But it his. made sense to him to do it that yes, way, right? absolutely. That's pretty far. It's not as far as the star... But at least I can get it big enough that my autofocus sensor can deal with it, or I can deal with it optically 
using my Mark One Mod Zero eyeball. Right. That's very practical. And it will work. Now, the longer the focal length, smaller the angle of view. Yes. The more precise you have to be. How precise? Well, I'm just going to use my hyperfocal distance table. Right. Let's suppose the lens. that I'm shooting with a 500 millimeter lens. Okay. And I'm shooting at f four is the moon farther than 13,596 feet last time I measured it last time you got the tape out was it farther just a bit just a bit so what does that tell me doesn't matter right as long as it looks decent in the viewfinder the moon is a good reference that I can see nice and big in the viewfinder. Mm -hmm. Focus on it. Lock my focus down. Now I can focus Venus or Mars or Jupiter right. or a nebula yep. or the Milky Way. And I never have to refocus because I'm beyond the hyperfocal point for that lens and that aperture. Right. Yeah, it means trusting a chart well, but the point of fact is it works for years yeah i mean we did it for a hundred years and it really does work i mean think about the guys like <coughs> i don't know it's 1897 and you're hauling an eight by a ten or no better still an 11 by 14 glass plate view camera <laughs> into the streets of New York in wintertime to do night shooting. How easy is it to focus that thing on that ground glass? It's not. not. Because the ground glass on an 11 by 14 isn't that freaking bright in daylight. That's why you had that dark cloth. Right. Right? Put your head inside it. Stick your head inside it because it's the only way to resolve things optically. However, I have my hyperfocal distance chart for that camera and that lens. It becomes very much, let's work on the composition, Sparky. Right. The focus is going to take care of itself once we know how to use it. So, pretty simple. Now, once you've got down to that point where you feel confident about the focus. What's left? Composition. The art part. Sure. What's my story? What's my intent? Where is the emotional context? Right. <clears throat> and can I do that in astrophotography? Oh, hell yeah. Sure. So again, what we've tried to do is get past the tech so we can focus on the creative. And this is a mechanism that's absolutely going to work. Does that make sense? Yep. So but, uh, there's some purists out there who are going to say, um, yes, but I want to be sharper. Are there 
aids in the cameras that will assist us in f- focusing? No. There aren't. Okay. Focus is or is not. Now we accept we accepted earlier that due to circle of confusion, there is only one point where the lens is absolutely bang on in focus. Right. We did that. But we also agreed that the focusing helicoid in modern lenses has a fairly large pitch. Mm-hmm. Guess what you're not going to be able to dial in? Right. That massive level of precision that you mm-hmm. want. So instead, maybe look at the screen. Right. And if you don't see a halo or a corona yep. around the star or the light or whatever that isn't due to atmospheric effect, focus on the composition. Make your art. Now, with mirrorless cameras, you will have tools like focus peaking. Mm-hmm. But focus peaking is an approximation that is overlaid on the optical focus. Sure. And it's it's not really a rule. It's more like a guideline. Right. It'll get you in the game, but it's not precise. Okay. Any more than zebras are perfectly precise when we are doing exposure management. Right. Right? Right. Run zebras on on a night sky? Don't bother. <laughs> because they either are full on white or they're black. Right. And they're not helping you very much. And I would submit that focus peaking is going to be very much in the same way. Particularly if you're talking about astronomical objects and astronomical subjects. Right. Um now, one of the things you could do is if you've got an EVF or an LED screen, I have read about people say, well, if I magnify it, it will be better. And it might very well be. Within the limits of the constraints of the sensor's ability to gather light. Right. It all boils, it all boils down to that. It really does come down to that. Now, what it may allow for is confidence. Okay. The hyperfocal distance is is reality. Unless we are in the presence of a massive gravity well, light moves in a straight line. Right. And if we were in the presence of a gravity well that bent light that much, you have a bigger problem than your <laughs> night photography picture. At this point, your molecules are starting to move rapidly in the direction right. of infinity. So... Magnification, or even focus peaking, may give the photographer confidence. Are they making the the image sharper? No. But they may help the photographer get their head past the sense that I don't have precision. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, we may also find cameras, and I think your camera does it, where they've got a mode. Yep that's defined mm-hmm. for starry skies. starry skies. Haven't used it? Can't comment. 
read about it, uh, read articles from people that have used it. They seem to swear by it. How it works, so I, ca- I can't wrap my head around it. Because if you can't see it and it's coming off the sensor, how is the camera seeing it and giving you a quote and unquote autofocus? Um, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't. It's know. a rhetorical question. I, I think it's an interesting concept, and you know, perhaps if there's some time, we could spend some time doing some research. My gut check, because this is not the first time a company has done this, mm-hmm. is how they do it. Is they run a process of noise reduction. And by using noise reduction on the incoming field, they drop out anything that isn't really bright and really dark. Basically crush the dynamic range. Right. Ramp so the contrast. What left with is... In theory, what you focus on. Right. But you have to be careful with that. Now, what happened with Sony, because they did this, mm-hmm. and apparently it worked really well, right until you made the image. Because if you didn't remember to turn off the noise reduction, there was a reason that people called those cameras star killers. Because they'd shoot a star-filled sky. Stars have brightness values we call magnitude, measure measurement of brightness. Right. And anything below a certain level of magnitude, the camera considered noise and removed it. How come the Big Dipper's only got three stars? <laughs> well, well, yeah. Artificial intelligence, AI, solves everything. No, it doesn't. No, that, that's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting approach. No, I don't I, know that. That's how Olympus is well, doing. No, I don't. But it certainly sounds feasible. Well, it is feasible, and it does work. But it took Sony a fair bit of time to get to the point where they could use that technology and not have astrophotographers, you know, sharpening pitchforks and lighting torches. Right. Because the people that have uh, have used it have mentioned uh, uh, it, can, it can take a while. Uh, so it can take um, 5, 10, 15 seconds, maybe a little bit more to give you the focus. So I'm saying, well, why is it taking that long to focus? Well, from what you're saying, if, if it's running a noise reduction program, that makes perfect sense. It's not changing the lens. Nope. Because it's not changing the sensor. It's not changing, the t- and it's not changing the focus point. Because hyperfocal distance is hyperfocal distance. Right. It is what it is. There's no. Well, if we do this trick, we'll change it. Uh, no, you won't. But you could do processing on the image that you receive to make it look like you did. You know what? Think about how does sharpening work. Do you ever use sharpening in your in I, your editing I process? I use it, uh, sort of. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't go I don't go nuts over it like I know some people do. But uh, yeah, and, well, that's fair. So, how does sharpening actually work? I. Sketchy, sketchy on the mechanism. What makes 
the human eye perceive sharpness? It's contrast. Is contrast. Exactly right. So all sharpening algorithms, at some level, look at the luminous value of adjacent pixels. Right. And brighten the brighter one a little bit and darken the darker one a little bit. Yeah. Thereby increasing the contrast, which increases apparent sharpness. Right. Did we actually sharpen the photo? Nope. Nope. Because the real data didn't change. We're using a program, an algorithm, yep. to create the appearance of greater sharpness. It's effective. And we've both met and know people yep. whose answer to sharpening is grab it and ram it against its highest possible setting. Right. Why does everything look like it's made out of chunks? Well, because, because it is now. It is now. <laughs> sure. Congratulations, you... You got exactly what you asked for. Algorithmic processing, what the marketing people call AI, but isn't. Just AI, what we call AI is just more advanced matrices of potential outcomes and uses some probability practices to say, here's the most likely outcome. Because real AI will kill you. <laughs> because it knows that you're inadequate <laughs> and need to be replaced. So does that help a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, but it certainly covers the uh, conundrum uh, concept and um, certainly Infinity got beat about the head. Yeah. I mean, Infinity is is a real thing. Mm-hmm. we don't actually see infinity because we can't by definition infinity is immeasurable right everything is a distance away yep. but for the purposes of photography after a certain distance it's infinite because right. it might as well be sure and that has everything to do with the rules of optics. Anything else we want to cover? No, I think uh, I think uh, there are a number of heads out there that may be aching. Or having a nice nap. That too. Yeah, it could happen. So thanks everybody very much for listening. This has been the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I'm Gordon. And we will speak to you again soon.